Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. It's another episode of Window on the West. I am Jonathan Watson, and I'm here along with uh, Michael Grumbine. If you're on YouTube, he's down below. And then <laughs> Dan Coates, who's over here to my left. Hey. Yeah. And uh, we are here to talk about how the Noldor are returning. Kind of like the Jedi. But, you kind know. Of, no, that's not. Yeah. Kind of like the Jedi and <laughs> the Sith all at once. Oh, all at once. There, that's a good one, yeah. The good guys and the bad guys at the same time. Um, yeah, so we're on chapter 13 of the return of the Noldor, the longest chapter, but we're not going through the whole thing. We're ending about, I would say, probably about two-thirds of the way through this chapter uh, um, at the second break, if you're looking at it in the book, there, or thir third break. There are two like, uh, large paragraph breaks, and we're at, we're at that third one, uh, and then we'll go over that one next week. So, uh, of the return of the Noldor, um, and this is a, a momentous event because this is our first, our first time we're going to be doing All That Is Gold does not glitter without one of us actually coming up with the answers and knowing the answer beforehand. So this is done by uh, Nylon on uh, our Discord chat. They gave them to us. We have not answered these. We have not, we don't know what they are. I saw you them, I had, to, I had to copy and paste them. We have, don't know the answers or anything like that, but we really haven't looked at them at all yet. So we're kind of coming at this completely blind. So we're gonna go into. All that is gold does not glitter. So here we go. First quote. This tale is told on the headlands. The great one comes up from the deeps. His eye is a shrouded pearl, his voice, the ocean wind. I'll read it one more time. This tale is told on the headlands. The great one comes up from the deeps. His eye is as a shrouded pearl, his voice, the ocean wind. It's, it's, it's essentially um, just so you know, three stanzas in the way that she pasted it into the chat. So uh, those are the three is this, stanzas. Is this poetry? It, it is. These, are, these, these first two are poetry. The next is also uh, poetry. Um, okay, that's interesting. Harsh was the rift that the wave hewed in the wall of my father's kin. I know it stands, unfilled and open, my son's reach that the sea wrought. Yeah, definitely verse. Harsh was the rift that the wave hewed in the wall of my father's kin. I know it stands, unfilled and open, my son's breach that the sea wrought. Oh man. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Okay, third one. And as he went, he saw that the sun was sinking low into a great, great black cloud that came up over the rim of the darkening sea. And it grew cold, and there was a stirring and murmur as of a storm to come. And as he went, he saw that the sun was sinking low into a great black cloud that came up over the rim of the, rim of the darkening sea. And it grew cold. And there was a stirring and murmur as of a storm to come. All right. Fourth one. We've got five. The nearer waves, though golden where their summits caught the light, were green on their slopes. First emerald and lower down a lustrous bottle green, deepening to blue where they passed beneath the shadow of other waves. The nearer waves, though golden, where their summits caught the light, were green on their slopes. First emerald emerald and lower down a lustrous bottle green deepening to blue where they passed beneath the shadow 
of other waves. Hmm. All right. And then the last one. The sea is always right. Let me read that. Let me read that again because the laughter no. kind of drowned it out. This is important. Please, the sea is always right. Damn it. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm, you know, the one that's closest to Tolkien, Tolkien adjacent is this last one. The sea is, never mind. This one we'll we'll just we'll just. I think this is more fascist adjacent we'll, than Tolkien we'll just, adjacent. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll just ignore this completely. So let's go back. We know that this is not. This is from the Rings of Power. This is what the Numenorians believe when somebody drowns in the ocean. The sea is always. I don't. It's yeah okay. So we're done, it's, prof- it's profound. It's profound. <laughs> Certainly, completely profound. All right, first one. This tale is told on the headlands. The great one comes up from the deeps. His eye is as a shrouded pearl. His voice, the ocean wind. Um, it sounds like Lovecraft. It's not Tolkien. Uh, the style, uh, the the metaphorical his voice, the ocean wind is not. I, I don't know. That doesn't sound like Tolkien to me. I, I don't. I, 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 you, you say you don't read Dan, but you, you bring right away. You bring up Lovecraft. So I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. This Lovecraft. this sounds like the kinds of authors that try to imitate. Um, biblical verse from like the book of Job or, hmm. or this is this is the there's a there's a movement in fantasy you know Brandon Sanderson does it sometimes when he's tr- inventing poems at the beginning of his chapters and his books but yeah Lovecraftian this is this is trying to be trying a little too hard to be deep and mysterious okay. through through yes yeah, so I agree I don't think uh, I'm gonna vote no on this one this is not all talking. right I'll um let me let me look what the answer is oh wait can I hmm uh, let, let me check because I don't, I want to make sure that I'm not going to answer all of them at this. Oh, I think it's going to, is it going to highlight all of it at the same time? Yeah. Well, why don't we go so through all four and then we'll get go through and, all four first and say okay. our, our guesses. So next so one all, is all saying that's not that one. It's not that one. Unless Harsh I'm was, saying that to uh, fool you guys so that I can go back at the end. And say that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is like double jeopardy. Harsh was the rift that the wave hewed in the wall of my father's kin. I know it stands unfilled and open, my son's breach that the sea wrought. Um, this is no no verse that Tolkien would write, in my opinion. I, I'm not sure what it's supposed to be. There's no, is, do you know, is this a specific kind of verse? Can you tell? I think I can. Oh, I think, I think, yeah. Yeah? I, yeah I'm so, pretty, it doesn't sound like Tolkien to me. Okay, what do you think? I already have my answer by reading them all. I'm pretty sure I know which one, but. Okay. Dan, do you have any thoughts? I'm uh, not a, got, I have no idea, but it, it does sound kind of weird um, the way it, it anthropomorphizes the sea. I don't know if that's something that, that yeah, Tolkien that's a good point. would do. I think he might sometimes anthropomorphize the sea, but but I do think so. This is this is like Viking verse. This is um, from mm-hmm. the Nordic people. So there is a bit of what Tolkien does in this, but this is. I mean, you, you have you have the sea opening a rift in a wall of his a father's kin. So you have a, a settlement of some kind. The sea gashing open the wall, um, and he calls it my son's breach for some reason. I don't know why, but. The way the construction works, this this is really smacking to me of Nordic, a kind of Nordic verse of some hmm. type. Um, I could be wrong, but it feels like Nordic verse to me. There's certainly no alliteration. If it was no, um, no, yeah, that's no, which makes it, and it, it. It threw me as harsh was the rift that the wave hewed. Like I was thought I was going there when I first read it, but um, which which to me is why I think it's more likely a translation of something Nordic. Mm, I, I, okay. I do, I do think there's a, because it is beautiful. It has a mm-hmm. kind of poetic quality to it, but 
it doesn't feel like English is its first language, but it is, but you know, it's very, and it's very harsh and severe and very, yeah. I, I just, I think it's Nordic, but I don't, I don't think it's Tolkien. Okay. All right. So next one is, and as he went, he saw that the sun was sinking low into a great black cloud that came up over the rim of the darkening sea and it grew cold and there was a stirring and murmur as of a storm to come. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure this is, this is Tolkien, this one. Um, and the reasoning is, as I said earlier, like there, there's like, uh, Tolkien uses more as of rather than like direct the, the, exactly. the storm was the storm the the storm's murmur he doesn't really say say that there was a murmur mm-hmm. as of the storm to come that's what tipped me off and um it just sounds like I, I feel like I've read this I can't pinpoint exactly where the bigger father came up with the room of the darkening scene it grew cold and there was a story oh oh is oh it, you you got it man you got it I know this is not much of a contest now because we're seeing it yeah this is <laughs> as soon as you said I've read this before okay I think I know what this is. This is Tolkien. Sorry, Dan. This Dan. is Tolkien. Uh, <laughs> yep. So is, my guess is, is that this is Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Do we get do we get extra points? Because I think I know what the fourth one is. Or I, I don't know if I know. I'm yeah, sure. Step. We can go I'm to the fourth one here. The nearer waves, though golden, where their summits caught the light, were green on their slopes. First emerald and lower down, the lustrous bottle green. That doesn't sound like Tolkien. Deepening this... to blue where they passed beneath the shadow of other waves. So it may not be him, but um, the slopes of waves and the descriptions—it feels to me like Paralandra. This is uh, from C.S. Lewis, the describing, Ooh. the describing of the mountains of waves and how you know that they were basically yeah, the, lands, and the, the landscape, the, and and then the land masses that would go over them. Deeply. Right. Huh, interesting, or the 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 masses of floating plants. Correct. He doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, if he, if they had put in a description of the plants, it would have been a dead giveaway. But I don't. But I'm not sure. I mean, it could be. I. It may just be a description right. of a of a mountainous wave. Um, yeah. All so, right. Okay. So let's let's go to the answers then. Uh, here we go. The first one is uh, Tad Williams' Shadow March. Never read it. Never read it either. So uh, never. Yeah. Never heard of that. Not that uh, one. I know I've heard the author, but that's a more modern. You, is it the one before this one? Sorry, yeah, it's it's uh, sorry, it's this one. This tale is told on the headline headlands. Um, yeah, uh, it, yeah, I, Tad Williams, right? He's a he's a modern author, isn't that right? I have not never read him. I have not either, but I do yeah. like Dan's. It feels like Lovecraft. This feels like a creature from a love from a Lovecraft poem. The great one from the deeps, the eye is a shrouded pearl. So like this in a voice like the ocean wind, you can feel this howling voice. And yeah. Okay. Anyway. All right. Know. Next one is, I'm sorry, I can't copy and paste this here because this is not an edible version of the slideshow. So, sure. uh, and sorry, yeah, those of you who are listening, like uh, if you go to YouTube and watch it there, we actually, you can read the quotes as we're going along with it. All right. Um, Michael, impressive. This is from Egil's Saga. This is the harsh was the rift that the wave hewed in the wall of my father's kin. Egil's Saga, E-G-I-L. Hmm. One of the Icelandic sagas attributed oh, to Icelandic. Snorri Sturluson. Sturluson. <laughs> my, fav- my second favorite author. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Snorri? <laughs> Snorri, yeah. Wasn't she one of the, uh, the, the, ha- the Harfoots in uh, uh-huh. Rings of Power? I Snorri, the yeah, one that yeah. slept all the time. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> the eighth dwarf from the, the uh, seven dwarves. dwarves. <laughs> Snorri, uh, uh, father, father of Sleepy. Um, no, I've never, I've never read this, but Icelandic saga. All right, yeah, you were right. Sense. So next one is um, Tolkien of Tour and is coming to mm-hmm. Gondolin in Unfinished Tales. So this is right before, if I'm right, it's right before Olmo appears. So he is. This is the sea is darkening as Tour looks out and mm. uh, and is and Olmo appears to him. 
That's also Lord. in the is that also in the Silmarillion? A different version of it a different is. Different version, but this one might not be precisely. Yeah, impressive. I I it certainly wasn't the Lord of the Rings, but uh, impressive, Michael, that you've you've got that there. And well, then, I, it's my favorite scene. Like the one of my favorite or pieces of artwork, probably my most maybe my favorite piece of artwork about the Valar is this the appearance of uh, what what happens next after this paragraph in um in i think it's an alan lee painting that he does of the of when olmo appears so um it's pretty cool um and so if we well you helped this. me because you said i've read this before and i was i was thinking okay i i, I thought the same thing yep there it is yeah by john howe olmo and tour yeah cool better better than some of the other umos i think ted nasmith umo is a little too uh Sea World, but this that's one, right. This one I like. That's right. Yeah. All right. So um, last one uh, is the nearer waves, the golden where their summits caught the light were green on their slopes. It's from Paralandra. It is. So, All right. Is. Wow, Michael, that's great. That's amazing. You must read or something a lot. <laughs> well, I was I, I I was shamed by being wrong last time. I was so I I, I put my. I don't know the it is it is interesting. I know Lewis and Tolkien pretty well, and I know you know Tolkien real well too. And so the styles of their writing is, you know, when you said the as if that that was exactly my clue in, in mm. the third quote. Like Tolkien loves similes that begin with as if. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yes. And and so yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, hmm. thanks, Lynn. That was awesome. So we all got it right. Good for us. Yeah, my uh, good my for logic, us. My logic was spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. You're at a disadvantage. It's like Dan's never read anything, and he's just kind of along for the ride, hoping his yeah. his, his. What we should have done is is just written down a number first before we started talking about it, and then to held up our oh, number at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I That's do. I do complex. agree that I I like the way Tolkien writes uh, when he's describing things. I think you're right, where he he uses uh, simile quite a bit, and it's. He doesn't say this is like this. He says it's as of as if mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get the picture in your mind and he's not he's not so much painting a one to one analogy, but he is he's saying it has these qualities. It's as of this yeah. or that. Yeah. 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 Right. It is an it's an older kind of construction. Also, he likes words like darkening and lightning. Right. He you know, the darkening yes. of Valinor and the, there was darkening in this one and, and murmur. Light, he's light oh murmur, murmur. yes. Yeah. Oh he loves murmur. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the first quote where they say his eye is as a shrouded pearl, his voice the the ocean wind. That like when somebody says his voice the ocean wind, that's totally not. There's Tolkien never wrote in that style right. at all. Anyway, yeah. that is certainly a uh, somebody trying to emulate something greater than he is, and that would be Tad Williams of Shadow March. Which I don't know. Maybe he's good. I'm guessing. <laughs> maybe he's good. Look, all you <laughs> Shadow March fans, oh, we're not sorry. we're not yanking your chain. Okay, I will tell you, know. my cool. least favorite author <laughs> that tries to be like Tolkien is Terry Brooks. I can't stand. Oh. The sort of Shannara, and I know there are people that like it, but I think there are people that read those before they actually read Tolkien. I, I had a friend of mine recommend those to me, and I could I couldn't even finish the third book. I halfway through, I'm like, this is so dumb. See, this I knew is, I, I knew I liked you, Jonathan. Uh, that, I hate those books. I, hate, I threw I it away after the yeah. first one at first, and then later on, because a, a friend kept coming back to me and telling me how awesome it was, mm. um, the, I, I read the second, the third, and I've never stopped halfway through a book before and i did it that's wow. so funny that you I, I i got i got through the first two but it was the third one the elf was it wish elf song? song wish song was it, wish. it? elfstone maybe it was elfstone yep. elfstone is the second i think it was the wish song sort i just remember i'm like oh they're on another quest they have to go get some MacGuffin, and something happens mm -hmm. and they're bad guys along the way yay i'm gonna go read something else and it was at that point i probably went to like you know something better like c.s lewis or maybe i found at that point 
Robert Jordan or something, but or a dictionary, it was, it was or bad. S- something better. A dictionary. <laughs> was, I just it, went you know, and read definitions. It, it's My, good for it's good for what it is, and what it is is something to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yes, well. Indeed. All right. Well, that was awesome. Okay, so we are on to chapter thirteen of the Return of the Noldor, and that means that we get to start with Dad's big thought. All right. Thanks for that intro, Jonathan. Um, I, I kind of struggle with coming up with a big thought when, in, when these chapters become more narrative where it's, you know, this happened and then this happened and then, then they came over here and then this happened. And, um, but I, I did find it interesting how you have, obviously you have kind of like Fanor's big last hurrah. He, he's finally in middle earth and he's, you know, he's basically spurned the Valar and I'm just going to go and do what I need, need to do to get my Simrils back and, and avenge my enemy. And you see how that pride goes before the fall, how he's Fey in battle and he just keeps charging. And, and he's basically like just relying on his own. Like, yeah. I, I, I am strong. I can do it. I, it is, I think Tolkien even writes, even if he could see or if he knew that Thangorodrim was impenetrable, that it was unassailable, he still would have done it anyway. Um, you have that You have that contrasted with later on in the chapter uh, where you have, I think he's part of Fingolfin's company. It's Fingon. Did I say that right, Fingon? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. the son of Fingolfin. And... You know, he he does a similar kind of mission where he 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 goes out under the car- cover of darkness and he's looking for uh, Feanor's son, uh, Maithros, right? Um, Maithros, yeah. Maithros. And but he 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 goes out there and he's cautious and he's careful and he he's not out there to get revenge. He's out there to look for a friend and um uh, and it's a friend that he's been estranged from because uh, because of the ship burning and being left behind, and, and he, so he's going out and looking for somebody who who had betrayed him. So he, he and he's actually coming over into Middle Earth. Um, I'm talking about Fingon. It, it's mm-hmm. it, he, he he's there uh, almost kind of like a, a to con- as a contrast to Feanor that he he's a person of faith. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it later, I'm sure, but like he actually prays to Manwe and Manwe hears his prayer and helps him. And I thought that that was like an interesting contrast. So you have Feanor who's, I'm going to do this all on my own. I'm, I'm strong. I'm, I'm powerful. I don't care what anything, what happens to me. I'm just going to do it. And you have Fingon who is, I, I kind of took him to be like I, uh, a person of faith in this chapter. And I, I thought that was a really interesting contrast. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, like it, it, the Maedhros Fingon relationship is actually established in in the uh, the earlier chapter on, of the Flight of the Noldor, where when F- Maedhros asks Feanor, his his dad, he says, uh, "So now, what ships and rowers will you spare to return, and whom shall they bear hither first? Fingon the Valiant." That was Maedhros asking it, and so even in even in 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 something like the Silmarillion, the the relationship is set up even with just that phrase earlier, and I, I love that it's it's it, yeah. it's resolved um, in something so potent as what Fingon does with Maedhros. I really love that story too, Dan. It's, uh, it shows us so many things. So in the midst of this tale of the doom of the Noldor, I mean, Tolkien explicitly in our reading tonight, he references basically the fact that they're fated to fail three different times. Um, but even in the midst of this doomed 
effort of the Noldor, um, you have a this wonderful tale of heroism that comes up where Fingon res- rescues his friend Mithros. So Fingon is the. There's going to be a lot of elves. So for our listeners, I should we we should probably reference from time to time. Just put pigs. Maybe we should throw a picture up next uh, next episode of the major houses so people can get the name straight because there's a lot of elves that start with the letter F. So it's uh, that's a good idea. It's a little, a little all these F and elves. Zing. Well done, well done, uh, sir. So. Fingon is uh, the oldest son of Fingolfin. So you have you have three sons of Finway, who is dead. Finway is their all their father. He was killed by Morgoth in, back in Valinor. So he has three sons: Fionor, Fingolfin, and Finarfin. Of those three sons, two of them are now in Middle Earth. Finarfin, the third and the wisest of the sons, repented after the doom of Mandos and went back with a small portion of the Noldor and begged forgiveness of the Valar and was accepted and never came to Middle-earth. So you have Finarfin, the third son is back with some of the Noldor back in Middle-earth, uh, back in uh, Valinor. The other two are here. So Fionor is here and Fingolfin is here. And Fionor is, of course, with his sons and their people, and they have abandoned Fingolfin to the grinding ice. So now, of their sons, we have seven from Fionor, who I'm not going to go through and list all of them. I'm just going to reference the fact that the oldest is Mithros the Tall. Um, and he seems to also be the noblest of Fionor's sons. Both, we, we find that out, like you said, Jonathan, because he um, calls upon the friendship that he has with Fingolfin, his, um, uh, Fingolfin's son, Fingon, rather, his cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, and also... In this chapter, we see his nobility, too, although first, so he's captured and he's hung from a cliff, pinioned by his right arm um, up on a cliff by Morgoth to basically slowly die. And um, this is Mithros. So he's saved by Fingon as Dan said. So there's our, there's our reference points. But in when Fingon, oh, yeah, great. We got the picture up here it's for those John of you Howe. that can see. Yep, John Howe's picture of um, Mithros hanging there from the cliff. Um and uh, this, the act of saving him by Fingon. And the, 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 the tale of Fingon saving of him is really kind of epic in a lot of ways. First of all, we have an act of pure friendship here, right? So there, there are more forces in the world than just revenge or doomed fate, mm-hmm. okay? So, so friendship is always a, has, has always been a key, um, a key force for Tolkien, and um, we see it embodied here. We also see prayer, like you said. He prays to, Ma- to Manwe. But before he prays, he sings. Because, yeah. of course, there can be no Tolkien chapter without singing. Someone singing somewhere. <laughs> so so Tolkien, so he sings a song of Valinor in defiance of all the orcs and Morgoth who are behind the walls of this mountain um, that we're looking at here. And so he sings this beautiful song. And Mithros, far above him, although he doesn't know that Mithros is there, answers him. And that's how we know where he is. Where he, but he can't get to him, so he calls. He prays to Manwe. Manwe sends an eagle, um, the king of the eagles, Thorondor, and he flies up. But then there's still tragedy because he can't cut through this this sorceress um, pinion, this steel chain or band that's pinning Mithros to the cliff, and so he has to ultimately cut off Mithros' hand mm. and uh, slices it off, and then bears him back. Oh, that's a great one. That's a good picture. And bears him back um, uh, 
and he's so he's you know you know it did remind me in the later chapter in the later part of the chapter because the later part of the chapter i call the basically the a Balerian game of thrones the beginning of Balerian game of thrones <laughs> because there's all these elf noble elf nobility that start machinations and political machinations well it's funny to me although i'm sure george rr R. martin would start throwing things in my head if he heard this is is that there's a major prince in martin's game of thrones who is also a, 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 a oldest son and a fine warrior who loses his, his hand, hand as well and then but unlike him That's so funny the elves are better so um mythros yeah. in tolkien's version becomes even better with his left hand at his, at, at, at the sword than his right while uh while jamie lannister um does not in george R. R. martin's so anyway so there's a lot of so that you have this heroic tale which i just i just love and then he carries him back yeah, I, I like, um, like you, the, um, the Game of Thrones part uh, really starts when uh, Thingol is introduced into the story, right? Is that, that's what you're referring to, mm-hmm. where uh, Tolkien writes, now King Thingol welcomed not, not, welcomed not, no, he did not, welcome with a full heart the coming of so many princes in might out of the West, eager for new realms, and he would not open his kingdom nor remove its girdle of enchantment, for wise with the wisdom of Melian, he trusted not the restraint of Morgoth would endure. He no, trusted not that the restraint of Morgoth would endure. So he saw the coming of the elves as a problem because it would just incite Morgoth more to be a problem because he already was a problem. Thus they had the girdle of million uh, protecting them in Menegroth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, but we see that that they laugh. They laugh like the, the like the I don't know what's what's the right word for for the the personality the the approach that the sons of Feanor take towards them they, they are fey, dismissive dismissive oh, oh you mean towards Thingol towards Thingol yes they're this well here's the quote from Mithros now I have to say that Mithros before this point after being rescued showed tremendous wisdom and healed the rift between him remember mm-hmm. he and his brothers along with their father who's now dead um, had burned the ships and abandoned their kin. And now the kin have, against all odds, come across the grinding ice at great loss and entered Middle-earth. And we got to talk a little bit about the beginning of the chapter because we've jumped into the latter parts. Yeah. But, but let's just say, anyway, but before we go back to that, let's say that Mithros before this has actually shown his wisdom and he begged forgiveness from Fingolfin and his sons, which is an act of great humility that no other, none other of the sons of uh, Fionor have yet shown. And uh, so he heals the rift. So now the Noldor are not at odds with each other, um, although they do live apart from each other, but they don't, or, or actually, in a, in a way, they do live very close. But anyway, but in this case, you have Angrod, son of Fenarfin. So Fenarfin, by the way, has four sons and one daughter. So Fenarfin is the guy... But do you remember all this or do you have this written down? Because how do you remember this person that has four sons and one daughter? I'm like, oh my gosh, um, dude. Sorry. So I do remember all this. This is not written down. <laughs> um, but, but I have to go, you know, I, I did have yeah, to yeah. Re- do a recap um, when we were started reading Silmarillion because the, there's so many. So, but the one yeah. daughter is the most famous. So, so the Galadriel yes. is the daughter right. of Finarfin. And so, but uh, her four it, uh, brothers of one of whom is Finrod, who makes his appearance in Rings of Power, sadly. But uh, the, one of the other ones, Angrod, one of her other four brothers, um, is the one that goes to um to Thingol and he's the only one that's allowed in the realm why because his mother is akin to Thingol to Thingol 
And so um, through the, or being a daughter of Olway, and so right of the of the sea elves, and so there's a um, so so the only one that's allowed and, in. And so Olway Olway is the brother of Thingol, right? Yes. Elway, yes. Okay. Yes. And so so you have um, yeah. So their their mother is Thingol's niece, if you want to be specific. Right. So anyway, um, so Thingol basically tells them. He says, "Look." Uh, you can't settle in my land in this in this protected forest, but I'll give you all the lands between me and 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 uh, Morgoth. <laughs> you can settle in all those. <laughs> and um, when so when the, that message comes back, um, the yeah. oldest son of Fionor, um, which is who's the the one handed now my the one my throat's the one handed, says this is his quote. He says he laughs, saying. A king is he that can hold his own or else his title is vain. In other words, Thingol's a king because he can hold what's his own. Thingol does but grant us lands where his power does not run. Indeed, Doriath alone would be his realm this day but for the coming of the Noldor. Therefore, in Doriath, let him reign and be glad that he has the sons of Finway for his neighbors, not the orcs of Morgoth that we found. Elsewhere, it shall go as seems good to us. So uh, Jonathan's put up this map, and this is a great map. This is found on page 14 and 15 of the Atlas of Middle-earth. Um, and uh, it's this this map in one shot tells you basically everything that's happening in these this chapter is going to take place on this map. And so the, the bottom center of the map is the top of the forest of Doriath where Thingol lives, the bottom center, not Darthonian. Yep, there you go, Jonathan, uh, for those watching on YouTube. And so... Basically, Thingol says to the sons of Fionor, go ahead and, and all the rest of the Noldor, go ahead and uh, settle everywhere else. Settle between me and, um, mm -hmm. and Angband, me and uh, mm -hmm. be, between my people and, and Morgoth. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so they start, they, they split up and start going everywhere. And Jonathan's going crazy with the red, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, red that's, arrows. That's it's fun. Settle. Um, he's, that he's, is actually... he's, he's basically setting them up in the no man's land. He's like, yeah. you guys, you guys can camp out on those hills right in between yeah, me exactly. and Morgoth. And, and Mythros knows this and points it out, laughing that you know basically he doesn't have control over these lands, but he's told us we can settle here. Have them anyway, so, sure. <laughs> yeah, and so he says. So Mythros says, sure, we'll do that. And um, basically, whatever we say goes in these lands. So in other words, um, a Thingol does his word doesn't hold any power here. And we're establishing our own kingdoms, which yeah. we knew they came to do. And we knew even Galadriel desired to do. Um, and that was one of the, it, the establishment of a kingdom was a, was a major motivation that she had and the other sons of um, Finarfin and Fingolfin and Fionor. So, so here they are. Well, but maybe we should go back and talk about the fate of Fionor since we've referenced him as dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, no, 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 that's fine. Yeah, we, was, they say start in the middle when you tell a story. So we're just starting in the middle yeah. of the chapter. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> You do get a cool story with some Balrogs. That's that's pretty cool. Multiple Balrogs and the first named Balrog. Yeah, um, and it's it really it starts uh, off it starts up right where we left off after they burned the ships, because uh, it's the burning of those ships that are not only seen by Fingolfin but also by the orcs and the Watchers of Morgoth. So immediately Morgoth is like, oh crap, okay, I'm not gonna let this stand, and immediately sends out a host. Um, does it say how long it took? But it wasn't long. Um, the host of Morgoth, roused by the tumult of Lamoth and the light of the burning at Lascar, came through the passes of Arid Wethrim. Oh my gosh. Okay. On this map right there, it came through the passes somewhere in here, I'm guessing. Yes. There's Arid Wethrim. 
Um, and then the burning, Lost Guard, the burning is up in there uh, on the left-hand side in that little bay. Uh, right? Okay. Well, I think we're slightly off there because I think oh. they're in the great, great fields of Mithrim. So so it's the pass right above that, um, Ethel Syrian, that pass right there that says Ethel Syrian on there um, because it says that in the gray. Right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there on the gray fields so of Mithrim was fought the second battle of the wars of Beleriand, right Dargar Nuin Giliath. That is named the battle under the stars. Remember, everyone, there is no sun and moon yet, so everything is is only under mm-hmm. stars. So the battle under stars happens there. Morgoth sends his forces. He doesn't have much respect for the Noldor. Doesn't know there might remember the only Noldor he's ever faced has been Finway, who didn't have any weapons probably yeah. um, in his house, and and he slew the high king of the Noldor back in the Valinor. So he doesn't have many, and he's been building an army for the conquering of all of um, Beleriand. And his army has fought. His armies have actually pushed back uh, the elves everywhere except in the the forest of Doriath. So um, we read about that in a couple chapter, a few chapters ago. I like how they get off the boats and they they just, they just march up and they're basically like right on the doorstep of Morgoth. Like they're just like, oh, well, let's let's set up camp here, and they're like they're like. The mountain right there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's right. Yep, they're setting there. Well, they're setting up in Heathlam, and then later on they go right up to the doors and they bang on the doors. In fact, when Fingolfin gets there, what's interesting is the remember the Noldor are are terrifying in battle, and this is the first time that the that that Morgoth finds this out. Um, he sends this massive army from the Angband, and they get the army gets slaughtered. Uh, and then a second army comes up to try to kind of pincer move the elves from the south. And this was the army that was fighting against Círdan, the shipwright. And this army comes up and they get slaughtered. And basically he's left with almost nobody that, that um, you know, in, the, uh, in, his, fir- in his first this battle. Is, if you look here in what I'm showing, uh, it's this. I know it's an overlay of the other map, but this in, the, in this bottom half of this map here is where um, the advancing orcs and the Balrogs, and then you can see this is where in the Mithrim that they fought their first battle. Right. And uh, the host of Feanor. There and you see those black lines up from the southwest. Yeah. Those are the those are the other armies of the orcs, the orcs that come up to try to, to, try to fight them, and they get said. smashed. Yeah. And and so the Noldor win so handily that Feanor just keeps chasing them all the way back to Angband and gets himself separated. And take it from there, Dan. What happens to Feanor? <laughs> Well, Feanor, as we're told in Tolkien, uh, his prose, he's saying that he's Fey in battle, and he he's just charging after the retreating armies, and he he's just he's just willing to chase after them, and he he wants to get to Morgoth like right away, and he's even running ahead of his own people. He's just he's just out there by himself basically. That's right. And it sounds like he's he's just he's wounded in battle. Uh, the Lord of all the Balrogs strikes him down. Gothmog. 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 And then the backup comes. And then his sons arrive and they, they, they're able to kind of carry him away and retreat a little bit. But he's mortally wounded at that point. And what's interesting to me is that they're, they're carrying him out of the battle. And he looks down and he's able to see finally for the first time the fortress, the, the Thangorodrum. Of, it's impossible. We never had a chance. We could have never... With all of our force, we could have never assaulted that. And then as he's dying, he makes his sons reaffirm their oath to keep attacking Morgoth. It's like, this, this is a pointless quest, but I, I want you guys to avenge me. 
And mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought right. that was, that's so that's the hubris of that of like I, I want all my sons to die in battle, even though it's hopeless or pointless. I, this is this is this is the oath we have taken. Now all of you main keep the course basically. See, and this this to me I, that's per, so perfect. And I was I was going to read that passage, and I'll I'll well we'll read it, and then I'll give you my thought. Then his sons raised up their father and bore him back towards Mithrim. But as they drew near. Uh, Eiffel, I guess. Eiffel, Syrian, and were upon the the upward path to to the pass over the mountains. Fanor bade them halt, for his wounds were mortal, and he knew that his hour had come. So they're right here at the top of this pass. That's right. Looking, looking back, back at Thangordrum. Yeah. Thangordrum, yes. And looking out from the slopes of arid Wethring, with his last sight, he beheld far off the peaks of Thangordrum, mightiest of the towers of Middle-earth, and knew with the foreknowledge of death that no power of the Noldor would ever overthrow them. But he cursed the name of Morgoth thrice and laid it upon his sons to hold to their oath and to avenge their father. Then he died, but he had neither burial nor tomb, for so fiery was his spirit that as it sped his body, uh, sorry, that as it sped, his body fell to ash and was borne away like smoke. And his likeness has never again appeared in Arda, neither has his spirit left the halls of Mandos. So he's... He, unlike other elves, he 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 doesn't get to leave the halls of Mandos, um, and uh, and so it, this is so it's so true what you said, Dan. Here is a the the power of suicidal hatred. So he hates so much that he even dooms his own sons, who you have to think are the people he loves most in the world, if if indeed he loved. But it, I, I I would make the argument now he loves no one in the world. Um, mm. It's it's clear. If you doom your own children, knowing that you're sending them to their death, then you have no love. And so, and there's a there. You know, he's he's his his flame has completely burnt. It been burnt out. Yeah. Uh, the The only thing he loved that remember it was his father's death. That is one of the things. The Silmarils and his father's death. The two things he loved the most. And so, yeah, I would agree with you and say that. Yeah. He at this point. Uh, the fire of his revenge, his vengeance, had consumed him too. I could say you know, the fire of his body, but uh, yeah, there there was no hope left. And we'll see that this this final uh, commitment, this final curse, and the oath that he recommits his sons to at his death leads to so much more. Yes, <laughs> so many problems. Yeah, um, it just doesn't end. There's, there's these three quotes. I'm just going to lay two of them. Thus, because of the curse that lay upon them, the Noldor achieved nothing, while Morgoth hesitated, and the dread of light was new and strong upon the orcs. This is after the rising sun and moon. And then again, uh, later in the chapter, therefore, even as Mandos foretold, the house of Fionor were called the dispossessed because the overlordship passed from it, the elder, to the house of Fingolfin. And then there's a third quote, which I don't have it at my fingertips. Anyways, we it references basically the fate of the Noldor and their diminishment and their hopelessness multiple times in this, even in this first half of this chapter. So we are Tolkien is very clearly laying out for us that this tale is not going to end well. But nevertheless, watch the Game of Thrones happen. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it's really, um, although better than Game of Thrones, he has tales of real heroism, like the friendship between Fingon and Mithros. The the um, the humility of Mithros and the and the healing of wounds and there's there are good things that happen. The Grey Elves, for example, are very happy to see the Noldor. You know, they were things were hopeless. Morgoth yeah, yeah. Had, had them against the ropes on the ropes, and um, and then all of a sudden, out of unlooked for, these Noldor appear, who basically Morgoth can't touch. He's just you know, they, they they scythe through all of his 
his armies. And so it seems like good news to them. And then a second force of them appear. I do want to read about that too. But uh, did you guys have any thoughts about the relationship between Fingolfin? Now you're on a roll. You go, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're, we're here to listen right now too. (laughs) Um, He's a, geez. No, no, no. I feel better. But I love this imagery. I love this imagery. So we have when the when the uh, when Fingolfin arrives. Uh, let's see. But as the host of Fingolfin marched into Mithrim, the sun rose flaming in the west, and Fingolfin unfurled his blue and silver banners and blew his horns, and flowers sprang beneath his marching feet. And the ages of the stars were ended. That was the first rising of the sun. Right. Because the sun is rising where? In the west. (laughs) In the west. Exactly. Which is interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Exactly right. I mean, which is appropriate. The sun's rising in the west because it's coming from from, from Valinor. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Which is in the west. uh, It's basically like a UFO. It goes up and then (laughs) then it starts going. (laughs) It does all kinds of funny things at first. Look, look, they had to work the process out. There was a little, (laughs) there there was a lot of inefficiency in the first part of the process. And then the sun and moon got their act together. We we heard from the end of the last, not last chapter, a few chapters ago that that the Fingolfin's people blew their trumpets. This is kind of their second arrival. So it, back on the map that Jonathan had up before, um, when they first arrived off the Helcaraxe, so on the far left of the map, they blew their trumpets at the rising of the moon. Because remember, the moon rises first. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. them on the far left. And then when they reach... Uh, when they reach the Mithrim, where the battle was just had, that's when the sun rises. So they're marching across, mm. and then the, then the sun rises for the first time. And what's really awesome brings up a whole... My imagination starts to run wild at this. And I don't know if you guys have ever considered... Uh, having, I know, Dan, this is your first time reading, but I don't know if, Jonathan, you've ever thought about this. What kind of flora was there in Middle-earth in the Age of the Stars? Hmm. It can't be the kind of flora that exists there now with the sun that needs the kind of sunshine to grow. It had to be a different kind of flora. And I think Tolkien's giving us a hint to that because he gives us two hints. The lesser hint is the one I just read where Fingolfin flowers spring up around the feet of his people as they're marching at the rising of the sun. So clearly the flowers are opening in the face of their way. They've been waiting for the sun. So Yovana has Mm. prepped prepped this moment Mm. and the flowers are opening which means there were no flowers before, or at least there weren't these kinds of flowers. Yeah, I, yeah, and that may, it's, it's what uh, was written in the previous chapter where um, yep. uh, Tolkien writes that Yavanna, uh, long ages before in the thought of Yavanna, sown as seed in the dark, came at last to their budding and their bloom, uh, which is, you know, like there, there, was, there was all this stuff ready to, to, to be released at the rising of the sun, which I guess you could say was part of the song. It is. And isn't that interesting? Because look, so if you're Yovana, you're over in Valinor, and you've had two ages, uh, three technically, one without any light, and then there's the lamps, the ages of the lamps, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the ages of, this, of the two trees. And in both those cases, the light is, is confined to a specific area. But somehow Yovana knows, probably because of her connection to this part of the song in which she is the strongest, she knows that a light is going to come to Middle Earth, so she precedes Middle Earth for all these plants that can't, that that are going to only spring up and open and begin their life when the sun and moon come up. Now she, I don't know if she knows about the sun and moon, 
Um, but she is the one that created the two trees, and she is the one that coaxed forth the fruit mm-hmm. and the flower that became the sun and the moon. So I got to think that there's some connection with her in the song. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about it, though, as in that sort of visual way that, you you know, where uh, being the first rising of the sun and everything is first growing around you as you march. Mm-hmm. I love that visual. Imagine if they would have done something like that on TV instead of what we got. That would have been amazing. Like all these sorts of these. Well, they couldn't do it. I understand they didn't have the rights. But man, these visual things that we we get in Tolkien and um, we just didn't get anything like that. It's still I, see. It, see, I don't. I don't buy the whole. They didn't have the rights argument in this particular case. I don't think there's any way because Tolkien doesn't say explicit. I don't think there's any way that you're going to get sued if you show a vision of um, of you know the elves arriving in Middle Earth somehow. And then plants springing up. Yeah, um, I, I just don't, I think that's too that's too indirect. Um, Tolkien just has this one passage which we are drawing mm-hmm. logical conclusions from, but I don't think it's copyrighted. No, no, no. Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. Mm. Um, I, I guess we should go to what's closer to the end of the chapter, which is where we get our first glimpse of um, more dwarves. Well, first glimpse, our glimpse of the dwarves and the Noldor coming together. Ah, uh, yes. And and sadly, it's it's with Carinthir. Yes. Who is, as Tolkien writes, is, let's see, Karen Thier, who loved not, was the harshest of the brothers and the most quick to anger. So probably the worst guy to come into, <laughs> c- come into contact with the dwarves first from, uh, from Valinor. And, 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 wh- and what does he think of the dwarves? Karen Thier they, thinks they're ugly. That's what yeah. he thinks. I don't like yeah. them because they're ugly. The people and Karen Thier was haughty and scarce concealed his scorn for the unloveliness of the Nalgrim. Oh, and his, yeah, yeah, and his people followed their lord. But the only thing that brought them together, it was like it was like the USSR and America. <laughs> right? They hated Morgoth and they made an alliance. They hated the Nazis and they made an alliance. It's the same sort of thing. So that once once that you know you can tell like even as the story progresses, once that sort of common enemy is gone, um, you lose even more so. Except for uh, except That's for right. Elrond and. Um, Durin, they were great friends for many, many years. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help you bring up the most. Oh, All right. uh, but yeah, but they, they, the, but, but again, it's the Noldor and the dwarves. The first, the first Noldor who are the greatest craftsmen, the crafts elves, to meet the Nalgrim. Um, even though uh, you know uh, Menegroth, the thousand caves of uh, of Thingol, was bedecked and was created by the dwarves already. Uh, is this the first time the dwarves have kind of, you know, w- when they start seeing this, did, have they met their match in a way? Like, I'd be curious to see, like, there's a whole story that you could create around that mm-hmm. uh, and some of the, the, the strife that would have come up between the Noldor and the dwarves as they realize, like, they're, okay, so so we're not going to be able to woo them with all of our, our pretty things and all, all of our capabilities, like, because right. they've already got it. Um, uh, unless they needed a big giant forge. <laughs> Sorry, that is I'm just a, a giant just, forge to do just what? Just keep coming Nothing? back to it. Just keep coming back. It's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> Can't escape. All right. Any final thoughts on this part of the chapter? Next, and we're going to start with when twenty years of the sun had passed, which is uh, the third break there. But any, any other final thoughts as we move on? Well, I like so the the high kingship has passed now to Fingolfin. Oh, that's a good point. So Instead Fingolfin. Of- yeah, and and I was thinking back on what I said earlier about all the people, and you're you're asking like, how do I remember that? So. Here's a visual for, for some of our listeners, if you feel like it. You got, on the one hand, you got Theonor, and he's dead now, but he has seven sons. On the other side, then, then you have his brother, Fingolfin. Isn't there a song of this, Father Fen- Feanor? 
That's Evan Sons. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, different song. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to think of a mnemonic device that's going to help me remember all this because I'm not like my memory. Like when I was in place, memorizing lines was always the hardest thing. So I don't. I have random facts and things that get stuck in my head when I read stuff, but actually memorizing like facts and figures and things like that always seems so difficult for me. So I'm curious, like, how do you do that? How do you remember? So what I, I, I remember oppositionally. So I think of it on two sides of the page. On one side of the page, we have the Feanorians um, from their father, Feanor, and seven, they have seven sons. On the other side, opposing them are the remaining um, sons of the brothers of Feanor. Now, one of those brothers is here. He's now the High King, Fingolfin, and, and the other one is back in Valinor. But from the two of them together, also seven sons. So, oh, yeah. okay. so you have you have three and four sons, and then you have oh no, that's not right. Sorry, oh. you have six sons and two daughters. Sorry, so my bad. Mm. So anyway, on one side you have the seven sons of Fionor, on the other side you have six sons, two and four from Fingolfin and, and, and Finarfin, and you have two daughters, Arathel and Galadriel. Um, so, so those are the those are the people from whom all these other Game of Thrones stories flow. Right. Okay, now I can remember there's one less than... <laughs> That's right. There's something <laughs> right. So yeah. Fingolfin is now High King, um, and uh, and the, the elves have settled in, in the lands between the protected forest of Doriath with Fingol and Melian, the Maiar, and in the north, Morgoth, who's now delving more and doing... Um, we, we'll find out later that he's, he's really burned about it being um, so easily handled by the elves and so he begins to come up with new things to try to fight the elves because clearly orcs aren't going to cut it i do find it interesting the thing that jumped out to me when reading this is it's interesting i always look for significance when there probably isn't any like there's symbol there's symbology or whatever but um it's interesting to me allegory yeah it's interesting to me that when the host of fingolfin arrives the the moon is shows up and then when they make it to the other elves, the sun is there. And then when they're marching and they unfurl their banners, the flowers spring up. It's almost like nature and the Valar, the creative powers in the earth. It seems like there, there's there's kind of like a redemptive thread almost. That's uh, And I'm probably reading way too much into it. But you have like Fanor and he's just like... Let's go kill him. We're all vengeance. We're with the oath, the yeah. oath, the oath, the oath, the oath. We're going to go kill Morgoth. And, and then they have a, a bad end. And then you have Fingolfin's people show up, and, and it's a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, they I are different. This is I, why I love Fingolfin. It's always been my favorite. It's why my, on the Discord channel, anyone that pays attention, my, my symbol is, is the heraldic symbol of Fingolfin's house. Um, Fingolfin himself has a tragic end, and it doesn't save the Noldor from their fate and the, uh, the Doom of Mandos and the vows they've taken. But you see them, Dan, trying to redeem themselves, and the Valar are helping them. You know, contrary to what I said last episode, we have the Valar taking a direct hand here, right? Um, right. Because Fingon it call, prays to Monway, and Monway answers him directly and sends yeah. an eagle to help him. So you have direct action. Um, in order to, even though the ultimately the Noldor are doomed, in in yeah. still still the Valar care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that really jumped out in this chapter. That was really cool. And I don't think I don't think that you're reading too much into it because um, it's it supports right. Just it may not mean a whole lot necessarily when it comes to like like when you're talking about how the sun rose and then the flowers grew underneath their feet. It it may not mean something in like in a way that's that's a direct simile or metaphor or, or allegory right. or something like that but it supports 
that their coming was a brightness, was a good thing rather than, mm-hmm. uh, than, than Feanor's. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and I like that because it, it shows you what's happening and he's not just telling you like their their coming was as the was as the growth of new new earth you know or something like that it was like no it is growing underneath them it's this is what this is actually what's happening I, yeah. yeah so i no i totally agree jonathan i'm gonna my final thought is gonna be this it, it is in contrast we are, we joke about how much we keep bringing it brings the power which is unfortunately fresh in our minds but but there is a stark contrast I'm just gonna do this Yes. <laughs> Take out the headphones, put down the microphone. But when you when I now that I'm back to reading Tolkien again, I see just this, such stark difference. So Tolkien yeah. here is giving he has his overall tale of the Noldor is one of doom. They will diminish. They the, all the things they they seek to do will fall to nothing. And mm-hmm. but in the meantime, there is beauty and goodness in them. And so Tolkien gives us that vision that you pointed out of the arrival of Fingolfin and three stages and three different things happening. And all you have, why is he showing this to us? Because they are good, because yeah. they have beauty, because there is light. That's it. As opposed to in Rings of Power, when a random thing happens, why is it? It's so that we can know, we can we can take an inference about elves stealing people's jobs as like this is like look at our world and how people steal jobs. People, some some bigots think people steal your jobs, and and and, and it's, so the the hackery is so pathetic compared for Tolkien. Why does he do this quote unquote random thing? What in this passage of this tale of tragedy that's going to unfold in the Silmarillion? He does it because there is goodness and the elves are beautiful and good and there is light and the Valar still care about them. And so, and that's that's enough. That's all there. That's all you need. It's not because of some you know political motivation or theme that has to be shoehorned into another story. Yeah, mm. I agree. And uh, just like they, they, uh, I was told on the Discord channel how the Rings of Power has ruined me. Apparently, it's ruined you too. And there's nothing you can do to. I'm just going down. With it. Look, I'm going, going down to... on your ship, man. All right. Well, that was an awesome, awesome. Review. We are we are deep into this here, so we got to move on because we have our extended podcast still to do, and we've got a ah, few things to address there. Um, but before we do, we have to uh, tell you about things. If you like Tolkien, uh, and this week I'm going to bring up something that was actually uh, the podcast from a couple weeks ago, uh, and that was an interview I did with Steve Babb of Glass Hammer. Uh, where 22 years ago, I think it was, they came out with this album, the Middle Earth album. So Glasshammer is a band that's been around for a long time. They've been around, uh, gosh, for 20, 30 years now, I think, and 20-some albums. Um, and uh, their style is prog rock, so it's, um, it, but it's not like just a throwback. It's not just a cover band. It's an actual uh, style of their own that 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 is quality, that's done with, uh, I know, a a real dedication and so when you listen to their music it sounds really good but they did this they did this one album the middle earth album uh which the first half of it is the whole idea was what if there was a band playing in brie and what would it sound like at the prancing pony hmm. and what would the audience sound like and so you get you get an entire like i think once like five or six songs about uh, you know, like as if there was a band in front. And I'm not talking like a band with a bass guitar and, and drums and an electric guitar. This is like, it, it's it's definitely more medieval stylings, the music itself. Um, right. It feels like there's a harp and there's a lute and there's, uh, you know, there's kind of a harpsichord in there too, which still works fine. Some people apparently didn't like that because that's too modern for it. But in any case, uh, they have great songs in there. One of them is called, I think, The King's Beer. That's my favorite one. It's a good one. Um, and then the last half is more prog rock. Uh, my favorite song of that one is called Sweet Goldberry, 
uh, and it takes whole lines from the, the Lord of the Rings and about Goldberry and, oh, and, and awesome. puts it into music. And so you can go to glasshammer.com to get it. Uh, you can go to Apple Music to get it. What you can't do is stream it. So it's not available on Spotify or YouTube Music or Apple Music for streaming. You have to download it to purchase it. So in any case, check it out. Um, it's it's a great great album. If you listen to uh, if you listen to our uh, episode two episodes ago, uh, where I interview Steve and we talk a little bit about sadly the Rings of Power, but also his music <laughs> and then uh, the book that he wrote. Uh, at the end of it, we have a song from their latest album, At the Gate. And then if you're an, uh, uh, a patron, you get two songs from this year at the end of that podcast too. Uh, uh, the King's Beer and Sweet Goldberry, the two that I mentioned already awesome. are in it. So yeah, check it out. It's a great album. It's a lot of fun. Uh, really good guys. They, they're two hours away from me in Chattanooga. I'm near Nashville. So uh, uh-huh. that's really great. Yeah. Have you guys ever heard it? Uh, if not, we'll have to make sure. I, I, so I need I, to. Yeah. I hadn't heard it until you. I listened to the episode that you had a, them mm, on, and then okay. I went and listened. So I, li- I, I too liked. Fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, prog rock is not my bag usually, but I, I did. I did appreciate their work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're expanding. It's not just like straight up. Like they, they do. They do experimental things too that are exactly outside of that. Genre. Like artists, you know. Like artists do. It's a crazy <laughs> thing. All right. So next week we're in the second half of chapter thirteen of the return of the Noldor, uh, starting with the phrase, let me make sure I get it right. When 20 years of the sun had passed, mm-hmm. look for that. And then to the end of the chapter, and we'll, we'll talk about all that. So, uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, if you want to hear the extended podcast, make sure that you become a patron by going to the one slash patron. Uh, that's where, uh, you get access to our discord, to our, the discord message boards, to, uh, the extended podcast, uh, that you get, well, sorry, you get the extended podcast through your podcast player. You just have to have a working login. Uh, it's $4 a month free for the first month. So you can check it out and then cancel if you don't want it. So, uh, we appreciate all of our patrons. We, we love the, the conversations we're having and it's fun to get the questions from you like our, our, um, well, that is gold does not glitter. I gotta say it right. Uh, from Lynn this morning, uh, this morning, whatever we got it. I don't know, but they they posted it and they're like, "Hey, can we use this?" And they're like, "Yeah, use it." So it was great. It was fun to have that. So we will see you next week when we do the second half of, of the Return of the Noldor. And uh, for the, the rest of uh, you extended podcast listeners, we'll, we'll see you uh, in just a second. After our condolences to all those who have to leave us now, I'm sorry. Bye-bye. Bye bye.